Hey, this is Father Jay Trailer from Restoration Anglican Church in Stanton. And it is Monday morning, October 25th, 2021. None of the audio from our service yesterday got captured on our recording device. So I'm going to be redoing the sermon now, and I'm also going to be reading all of the scripture readings myself. Our Old Testament reading this morning is from Genesis chapter 11, verse 27, through chapter 12, verse 20. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran. Now Sarai was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram his son, Lot the son of Haran his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and, the, and all the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak at Moreh. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved on to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent, with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord, and Abraham journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say instead that you are my sister so that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. When Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abram. And he had sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and camels. But the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. So Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that you have done to me? Why did you not tell me that she was your wife? Why did you say she is my sister, so that I took her as my wife? Now then, here is your wife, take her and go. And Pharaoh gave men orders concerning him, and they sent him away with his wife and all that he had. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our psalm today is Psalm 13, and I'll be reading the whole thing myself, because I'm the only one here. 
How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. The New Testament reading today is from Galatians chapter 3, verses 11 through 16. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith, rather the one who does them shall live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. To give a human example, brothers and sisters, even, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it has been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring, who is Christ. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And our gospel lesson this morning comes from Mark chapter 10, verse 17 through 26. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him, saying, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And then come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So we are continuing in our sermon series on Genesis. Last week, we were in chapter 9 and dipped a little bit into the beginning of chapter 10, and now we're starting way at the end of chapter 11. So what happened? Um, I thought that we were supposed to be going through this whole book chapter by chapter. Well, chapter 10 is mostly a genealogy, and while it is interesting to read, and it does fit within the book, it's not great to preach on. And chapter 11 is the story of the Tower of Babel. Now, this is an incredible story about God's plan for his creation and man's rebellion, and how God's mission for his image bearers in his creation is always going to win because the creature doesn't get to dictate the rules to the Creator. It's a great story. But it also gets preached every year at the Pentecost service. And so, for some of you listening to this, uh, you might have heard this done five months ago at our most recent Pentecost service. And I hope that all of you will hear it seven months from now when we do it again. So, we're skipping chapter 11 and we're going right to chapter 12. 
Chapter 12 begins the next major portion of Genesis. This is the Abraham cycle. It'll take us through the end of our time in Genesis this year, and it all starts with a word from God and a call on a man's life. And so we backed up a little bit to the end of Genesis 11 because we wanted to hear another one of these these Toledot passages, these these are the generations of passages. These are transition markers that let us know that we're moving on to another focus in the story of Genesis. So from, from Noah, we get three sons. We have Shem, Japheth, and Ham. Shem was the one that Noah blessed. Shem was the one who Noah said uh, was with God. And it was Shem, it was through Shem that uh, the, the offspring of the woman, the righteous line, was carried. Uh, that went from Adam through um, Noah, and then Shem, and then to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way to King David, and then eventually to Jesus. And from Shem, in this, in this genealogy that we didn't read, from Shem, we come to Terah, the father of Abram. Terah and his sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now, just to let you know, it can either be pronounced Abram or Abram, and I go back and forth, and I'm probably going to go back and forth during this, during this sermon. So, Terah and his sons, Abram or Abram, and Nahor, they lived in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. This is probably somewhere in modern-day Iraq. And Terah thought about moving to Canaan in what is modern-day Israel. And so they set out, the whole clan of them, his sons and his wives and his grandson Lot and, and their servants and their workers and the whole group of them, they set out to go to Canaan. And among them were Abram and Sarai. And by the way, it can either be pronounced Sarai or Sarai or Sari, and you might hear all three of them from me. So among them were Abram and Sarai who had no children. And that's ironic because Abram's name roughly means great father. And Sarai's name means something like my strong woman. They got as far as Haran, which is in Turkey, and they stopped there as a clan, and they made a home, and that's where Terah died. This is the only biographical sketch that we get of Abram. We know nothing else about his life, because the very next thing we see, God himself is speaking to Abram. God is calling him. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. This is the missional call that we see throughout the Bible that God gives to his people, that word, go. And in this case, it wasn't go do this thing or even go to this specific place. It was just, you got to get out of where you are, get up and go, and I'll tell you on the way where we're going. Pack up your stuff, it's time to leave. And look at what he has to leave behind. Listen to all the things that he's being asked to leave. God says, go from your country Go from your kindred. Go from your father's house. All these concentric zones of support and security. God is saying, leave behind everything that gives you identity and safety and a sense of belonging. Basically, become this kind of peopleless wanderer in an area that's foreign to you where you don't know anyone. And this would be at a time and a place where being on your own was just unwise and actually somewhat dangerous. In, in tribal cultures, in kind of a, a clan system, if you're on your own, you're separated from the pack, and you're vulnerable, and it's probably not going to go well for you. And that's what God was calling him into. Leave your, leave your household and follow me. 
When his dad's family moved from Ur of the Chaldeans to Haran, it was the whole clan that went with him. It was a tribe. It was like a movable compound. But this time, Abram, you and your wife, and whoever works for you directly, get up and go. It's easy for us today to um, minimize that. Because it's easy for us today to pick everything up, move somewhere else, and start over. I have, in the last 18 years, I have done seven interstate moves. And three of them have happened in the last four years. And I am not a massive outlier among some of my friends. It is easy for us to pick up, move somewhere, and start over. It was not easy at that time to do that. Especially if you didn't have your, your tribe with you. But that's God's call on Abram. Leave everything and follow me. It reminds me of the rich young ruler that we heard in, the, in a gospel passage from Mark. Leave everything that you have so that you can follow me. And what's more, God says to Abram, what's more, I'm not even going to tell you where we're going. So God does two things to Abram. First, he gives him a command. And the next sentence, he gives him a promise. This passage, Genesis 12, 1 through 3, is one of the central foundational passages of Scripture for Christians. One Old Testament scholar said that Genesis 12, verses 1 through 3, is the answer to the problems of the world. And you can't fully understand the Christian faith until we understand the promise that God makes to Abram in these verses. Because this is the next in a series of covenants that God makes with his people. This is not like a contract. If you do this, I will do that. This is not transactional. This is a one-way covenant. God is saying, I'm going to do these things for you. It's done. It has to happen because I'm God, and I'm saying that it's going to happen. So the Lord says to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Verse 2, And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God is covenanting with Abraham. And he's promising him four things in these verses. The first one is, and this is, I didn't make this, this up. This was uh, kind of a formulation that was presented by someone else, and I see no reason to try to make my own because this is perfect. God is, is showing Abram four things. He's promising him his presence. He's promising him a place, a people, and a purpose. First one is God's actually promising him his presence, and you can hear it in verse 1, but it's kind of subtle. God says, go to the land that I will show you. What does that mean? He's not telling Abram right now where to go, which means that God himself is going to go with him. This is going to be a journey that they go on together. He's promising to Abram, I'll be with you. He's promising him his presence. And he's promising him a place. This was at a time when land is crucially much more important for most people to live their lives than it would be today. And so he's promising him security and stability and a home. He's also promising him people. He said, I will make of you a great nation. And he's promising him a purpose. He says, you will be a blessing. And through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. This right here, that last part, that is God's plan of redemption for his fallen creation. Through you, 
all the families of the earth will be blessed. God's people always exist for the glory of God and for the life of the world. God's people have been, since the beginning of time, called to be a blessing to the world because we are empowered to be a blessing to the world. So Abram was told that he himself would be a blessing. Israel, his, his descendants, the, the children of Israel when they came out of Egypt, Israel was later told that it was created to be a light to the nations around it, to showcase the glory and the splendor of God who had claimed these people as his own. And then, of course, the ultimate and, and real final fulfillment of this promise that through you, all the nations of the world would be blessed, or all the families of the world would be blessed. This, this fulfillment, this final descendant of Abram, was still a long way off. The blessing that God was going to give to the world was a long way off. A descendant of Abraham was to be the one who would break down the wall of separation between God's chosen people from the rest of the world. A descendant of Abraham would be the one who would break down the wall of separation between God and us. Jesus, the one who would bring salvation to people from every nation and family on earth. But that is a long time from where we are right now. We are in Genesis 12, we are less than 1% through the Bible. And Jesus doesn't show up until we're about 75% of the way through. So for now, we have childless Abram, this great father, and we have barren Sarai, my strong woman. And they have just been told that their name was going to be great. And what that means is that's like being from the house of David or the house of Windsor. This is your, your name, your lineage, your legacy. They've been told that their name was going to be great, that their family line was going to turn into a great nation. And they don't have any kids yet. And they're not young. Now, Abram was chosen by God, but he wasn't chosen for his perfect behavior. He obeyed God. He got up and he left. He took, he took his little piece of the clan with him, and he did what God tell him, told him to do. He, he obeyed. But Abram was not chosen by God for his perfect behavior. Now, it wasn't like Abram's life, it wasn't like some of our own conversion stories where Abram's life was like a hot mess of garbage and then God found him and then he squared himself away and he followed the straight and narrow from then on. I mean, we can already see, and I think this is a benefit to us, we will see that Abram's life is just like ours. God reveals himself to Abram. God draws him in, just like he reveals himself to us and draws us in. He, he blesses us. He instructs us. And from then on, our lives are a series of successes and failures in terms of how we follow God. Abram is just like us in that way because we can see in verses 10 through 20 that the first notable thing that Abram does after God shows up and tells him the plan is to practice lying and deceit. Jen Wilkin, who I quote pretty often because she is a phenomenal Bible teacher, um, she, she just says things in such a memorable way. She says that in this passage, in these verses from, from uh, verse 10 through 20, that Abraham develops a serious case of the I, me, my minds. That is, if you look at the pronouns of, what he's, of, of the dialogue, it's all about himself. Abram isn't thinking about God. He isn't thinking about Sarai. He's thinking about himself. It's all I, me, mine. There was a famine in the land, 
And Abram and Sarai went to Egypt to sojourn there to work and to find food. But his wife was so beautiful, even at her age. I mean, they were, Abram was 75 by this point. We have to assume that Sarai wasn't far behind him. And so she was so beautiful that he was afraid of what might happen to him. We can assume that maybe he'd heard of the Egyptians. He knew that, that they just took whatever they wanted, and he was afraid for himself. Basically, Abram was already showing that he didn't fully trust the promises of God. God had promised him presence and place and people and purpose, and yet Abram was already taking matters into his own hands. God had said, I will be with you. I will make of you a great nation. So he had to know that the protection of God was on him even when he was in this strange land. And yet, rather than saying, you know what, this place is terrifying and I have absolutely no idea how this is going to work out and I am scared, but I know that God has promised to be with us so ultimately we don't have anything to fear. He didn't do that. He took matters into his own hands and he lied. And, and maybe even what's worse is he convinces his wife to lie as well. So he's dishonoring God by breaking his commandment. And he's dishonoring his neighbor by, by convincing her to lie as well. He's worried about himself. Verse 13, Say that you are my sister, so that it may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And when Pharaoh found out, he was greatly distressed. Because, and here's the thing, God had promised Abram, He who blesses you I will bless, and he who curses you, I will curse. So Abram knew that God was on his side. And yet, he didn't wield that power thoughtfully. And so God fulfilled his promises to protect Abram because Pharaoh had taken Sarai into his house to be his wife, and we can imagine what that might entail. And God was going to protect that union that he had promised to bless the world through. And so God cursed Pharaoh's house brought plagues down on him. And when Pharaoh found out, he said to Abram, why didn't you just tell me that she was your wife? I think we can infer from this, he's saying, if you had, I wouldn't have done this. Everything would have been fine if you had just told the truth. But Abram showed that he was a sinner just like you and me. And even though God had revealed himself to him audibly and spoken to him directly, there was still a part of him in his fallen humanity that didn't trust the promises of God. So, Abram wasn't perfect. He wasn't, he wasn't chosen because he was more righteous and blameless than anyone from his generation. He was a guy. Why did God choose him? We are not told. God tells us in the book of Isaiah that his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, and his ways are higher than our ways. What does that mean? It means that while God has a decree for us, and a promise for us, and a command for us, it means that he also has a will that we do not know because he's the creator and we are the creature. Why did God choose this guy, Abram? We don't know. Why does God choose some, choose some people to reveal himself to and to grant faith to and doesn't choose others? We don't know. And what's really interesting here is that when God chose Abram, Abram wasn't even a follower of God. We know that when Adam and Eve were created, God's presence was with them immediately. And we know that when Noah was chosen, he was already a worshiper of God. But Abram was a pagan. He was a heathen. He followed gods of his own region. 
And we actually know this from a little verse in Joshua chapter 24. In the book of Joshua, hundreds of years after Abram and his descendants, the Israelites, had been brought into the promised land, the, God, uh, the, the land that God had promised to Abram all the way back here in Genesis 12, the land of Canaan. And so their leader, Joshua, got them all together near the end of his life. He called them together, and he says, this is in um, Joshua 24, verse 1. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem. It's one of the places that Abram had built an altar. And he summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, and the officers of Israel. And they presented themselves to God. And Joshua said this to all the people. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan, and I made his offspring many. So when Abram was chosen, he wasn't even a follower of God. He was worshiping some other false gods. But now God has chosen him and covenants with him and promises him these four things, his presence and a place and people and purpose. The purpose that he promises him, you will be a blessing. And through you, all of the families of the world will be blessed. The, the, the kind of the near fulfillment of this is Isaac, who we'll get to in, in later weeks. The immediate, I'm sorry, the intermediate fulfillment of this promise is the, the nation of Israel itself. Because Israel was supposed to be a light to the nations, to bring life to the world. They were supposed to live in such a different way from the people around them, while still having clear and obvious blessings of the Lord Almighty on them that, the, that, that their neighbors would look at them and say, what do they know that we don't? And the, goal, the plan was that the other nations looking on Israel, seeing them live in this different and fulfilling way and clearly having the blessings of God upon them would come into the nation and would worship Yahweh. And of course, this idea of being a blessing to the whole world, the final fulfillment of this, like I said, comes in the person and work of Jesus Christ. The great, 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 huge long list of greats grandson of Abram, who was very, very old, and of Sarai, who couldn't have kids. This is the power of the promise of God. The ultimate offspring of Abram, the ultimate fulfillment of this offspring of the woman, the one who would fulfill all the purposes and promises of God, who would enlarge the people of God by being king, not just of the Israelites, but of the Gentiles too, and indeed of the whole world. Because God has a plan. God has had a plan from before the foundations of the world. And, and his church, his covenant people, is how that plan works itself out in our world. We had Adam and Eve, Noah and his family. Abram and Sarai, and you and me. This is one of the things that we'll be talking about in our... God has a plan. He has a plan from before the foundations of the world, and his covenant people is how that plan works itself out in the world. From Adam and Eve, to Noah and his family, to Abram and Sarai, to you and to me. So you being part of this church is part of his plan. You living where you live and working where you work and having the neighbors and the friends that you have, this is part of his plan. We are to live for the life of the world. 
And so given that, we can lean on the same promises that God gives to Abraham. We, we know when we look at this, when we understand the Bible is one big story, and we'll hear this over and over throughout the New Testament, that, that the Abrahamic covenant was finally fulfilled in Jesus Christ, and that when we, have, when we have belief in Christ and union with Christ, we are grafted in, as we talked about last week with, with Noah and his prophecies, that we as Gentiles are grafted back in to this covenant family of Israel and his descendants. We can also, we can also learn from the negative example of Abram and Sarai in Egypt. If God is who he says he is, and if God has done what he said he would do, then we don't have to take matters into our own hands. We don't have to come up with our own plan for how we're going to make life best for us. Basically, we don't, we don't have to say that the ends justify the means. We don't have to sin in order to look out for ourselves because God has promised that he will always be with us. And we know from Deuteronomy 7.9 that God's promises are true to his people forever. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, Deuteronomy says. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God, the faithful God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. Now, that's probably a metaphor. Big round numbers in the Bible are usually a metaphor. So in this case, it means forever. But even if it doesn't, even if, even if you're a literalist, uh, a thousand generations, biblically, is about 30,000 years. And so we are still well under that protection. So whether it's metaphorical or whether it's literal, God's promises to his people is true for us today exactly every bit as much as it was for Abraham and Sarai. And since everyone who is a follower of Jesus is a recipient of that covenant that God made with Abram, we can count ourselves his spiritual descendants. And we are well covered by the promises of God. Trust in that. Rest in that. We don't need to strike out on our own and tell ourselves that the ends justify the means and go against the commands of God to try to help things along. Trust in his promises. Trust in his word that he is with us, that he is guiding us to a place, that he has brought us into a people and has given us a purpose. Know that. God is with us. Christ goes ahead of us and abides with us. Never forget that. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.